Well, welcome to our Graceway Sunday School Hour, and uh, we are so glad that you are joining us. This is the Sunday School lesson to be presented on December the 20th and uh, of 2020. Uh, boy, this year is just about to wrap up, isn't it? And um, as we are looking at some things about Christmas and thinking about some things that the world doesn't understand, we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. So if you'd like to get your Bible ready for that. And uh, thank you, teachers. You uh, are listening to the audio of this earlier to get yourself prepared for Sunday morning. Be praying for your class, contacting your class members, and um, have this in your heart and in your soul more than just on your mind. Somebody told me a long time ago that a message that is worked up in the mind will only reach other minds. But a message that comes from the heart will reach other hearts. And so uh, my prayer is that this will be a heart-to-heart -heart message. So um, I'm praying for you, and uh, we're praying for you as you study this. And then uh, there will be others of you that are watching this on Sunday evening, and uh, you weren't able to be in Sunday school. Um, I hope that if you're sick, that you're feeling better. And if you're out of town, we look forward to having you back in or whatever the reason might be. But we're glad to have all of you joining us nevertheless. Uh, December 20th is going to be um, uh, kind of an important day. We're going to be doing our candlelight Lord's Supper at 5.30 p.m. So uh, teachers help us promote that. And then also after that, remember that there's going to be a wedding ceremony for uh, Steve Elkins and Nancy Goff. And uh, there'll be a, a small reception after that. And uh, we're excited for them. And then, of course, uh, Christmas will be coming up. So uh, December 20th is the last day that we're going to be receiving money for the staff love offering. So thank you for those who have already given to that. And uh, teachers help us promote that on this last day. And uh, we want to show our love to our staff, and we look forward to doing that. That's a, one of the highlights of my year, is to be able to take the offering that you give and divide it up and then um, put it together with a, a note of appreciation and give it to each one of them. And so uh, thank you for taking part of that. Um, this has uh, been such a weird year. I think that's the understatement of the year, isn't it? But at the same time, let's not get stuck on the idea that uh, all of this kind of stuff changes with the calendar. I mean, the coronavirus is not going to go away just because it goes, oh, 2020 is gone. I guess I'll go find someplace else to go. It'll still be around. There'll still be confusion. There'll still be crime. There'll still be people who are sick. There'll still be marriages that are in trouble. Uh, there's going to be corruption in government, all kinds of things that are going on. And just um, elections or new calendar years and all of that, that, that doesn't really change anything. As much as we wish that it would, it really doesn't. Because the only hope that we have for us or for our nation, of course, is God. And uh, the only hope that we have with God is that he loved us and sent his son 
as we're going to see in these verses. There's no hope outside of that. The hope is not just in the existence of God because uh, the God that created everything is a God who is a loving God. Absolutely. In fact, the Bible says that love is not just a characteristic or attribute of God, but that God is love. At the same time, we need to understand that this loving God also hates sin and he's a just God. There are people who say, well, why does he have to worry about all of that? Well, what would you think? Okay, let's just look at uh, these elections and uh, the election being contested. I'm convinced, and I think uh, a lot of Americans fit where I am, that there was something wrong in this last election. Now, whether it it was enough to change anything. I don't know. I don't know. There's just some suspicious stuff and, uh, you know, going on that kind of bugged me. Now, I'll tell you something else. It bothered me that the Supreme Court wouldn't hear the case. See, that's frustrating to me because whether they would uphold it or not or overturn anything or not, at least hear it and at least look into it, and at least give us some answers. Don't just dismiss us. Because all that did was kind of fuel the fires for people who were disgruntled anyway to say, well, where do we go to get a hearing? Where do we go to get any kind of justice? Where do we go to get something fixed? And I'm going to guess that uh, most of you, if not all of you, kind of feel the same way. It's, you know, where we live It's who we are and what we think. We're we're all kind of alike on that. Now, if you had a judge that you went to, let's say somebody broke into your home and they robbed you and they beat you up and they uh, maybe killed your wife or one of your children and you couldn't get a judge to hear that case, you couldn't get the judge to try that case, or if that judge turned around and said, oh, no big deal, charges dismissed, and let the criminal go free, how would you feel about that? Probably worse than you feel about the political situation. It's going to be my guess. Probably a lot worse. A lot worse. Now, this is what happens whenever justice is not served against lawbreakers. Frustration and anger and cries of injustice. This is not right. This is not fair. Well, at the same time, when you think about God and you think about this loving God and the justice that has to be meted out against lawbreakers, criminals, sinners, let's call them, like you and me, it would be the same thing. Can you imagine what the devil would, uh, his accusations and his charges against God? And so God is perfect love, but he's also holy and he is also just. Perfect justice, crime, law-breaking, sin, it must be dealt with. Okay, And so we look at this God who does this for us. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas in the most amazing way. He doesn't look down at us and say, here's your fine. You've got to pay this because it would be a debt we could never, ever pay. And uh, he doesn't look down at us and say, well, just try to do better and we'll just forget about all of this. He doesn't do that. What he does is sends his son 
to put on skin, flesh and blood, to live on this earth under pretty primitive and hard circumstances, being in the Middle East, being in an occupied, conquered uh, nation like Israel under Roman domination, and to do all of that and to do it without sin, to live under the burden of a corrupt religious system where there are people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were just go along to get along. They were liberal. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in spirits. They rejected most of the Old Testament. And uh, they just kind of made alliances with the Romans in order to gain political power. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were the self-righteous ones who thought that they had figured out how to keep the law enough to earn eternal life. And of course, Jesus exposed them as hypocrites. Now, Jesus is living under a Roman system and under that religious system, and he's living in a very difficult time, and yet he does it, how? Without sin, without sin of any kind, so that he can go to the cross and God the Father can punish his only son in our place so that Jesus could actually say to Telestai, the debt is paid, the sentence is completed, and he did that for us. So this can give God the opportunity to express his perfect love towards sinners like us, to give them mercy and to give them grace, and yet at the same time to fulfill his justice because the fine was paid, the punishment was meted out, but it wasn't given to us, it was given to Christ. And Christ willingly took it, and he took it on our behalf, and he paid for it perfectly. Now, you could never have thought of that. You never would have come up with that kind of a plan. False religion, human religion, never comes up with anything like that. In fact, all human religion comes up with is cover it up. Make it to where it doesn't seem so bad. Uh, Self-reformation. And it never gets to the heart, never gets to the core of the matter. And so the world plays this game that says, well, if everybody would just be nice and act nice and uh, cover things up, everything would be okay. God says, no, you need a heart change. And we've got to really deal with the problem. And the problem is sin. And the problem is not the sin of other people. It's your sin. You participate in all of this. It takes two to fight, doesn't it? It takes uh, more than one to get something that is corrupted. It's not just that things are bad and it's not just, you know, we talk about government corruption. It's not really the government itself that's corrupt. Our governmental system is actually very good. It's the people that are corrupt. Bad marriages happen because people are involved in them. There was a mayor in Philadelphia, one time someone asked him, what are you going to do about street crime? And his answer was, it's a very good answer, he said, I've never seen the streets commit any crime. It's people, it's criminals who commit the crimes. And we have to understand that we are participators 
in all of this. It's your sin, it's my sin that adds to the corruption, that adds to all of the guilt that we find in this world. It adds to all of the problems and all of the strife and all of the division and uh, the hatred and all of that. We add to that. We are contributors to all of that. Someone said one time that I contributed nothing to my salvation except the sin. I'm the one that caused Christ to have to come and have to go to the cross. And that's what the world doesn't see. In fact, during the Christmas season, the world would be pretty content to talk about a poor baby shivering in the cold, lying in a manger, and the heartbreak of, of homelessness and, and all of that. That may be true, but that's not the message of Christmas, is it? When we think about uh, the world, they, uh, they sing the song that was popular when I was about 10 years old. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Well, on one hand, that's kind of true, isn't it? That's kind of true. The world does need a good dose of love. And when we think about the two commandments that Jesus said, summarize the law and the prophets, and Paul did too in Romans, it's loving God. So there's the first kind of love we need, to love God purely and with all of our heart, and then to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Only Jesus has ever really done that. And that's something that we strive for, and that's something that this world, well, they can't do it on their own. In fact, let's be honest. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Well, they had love, sweet love. They had perfect love walking among them. And what did they say? Away with him. Let him be crucified. And that's what would happen today. If Jesus came today, it'd be the same result as it was 2,000 years ago. We're not any better. In fact, we might not have tolerated him as long as they did. We, we think about all of this and realize that the problem is us and only God is the solution to the problem. And here is where we get into the Christmas story in the gospel is that God sees the problem and God is offended by the problem and yet God is the one who solves the problem. Here are our verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. <clears throat> It says, uh, let me get to the right page here just a moment. Um, it says, Beloved, let us, so it's written to Christians, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves, and, and again, he's not talking about syrupy, emotional, superficial love, but loving the real way, okay? Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God is manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is important. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and send his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
Well, there's a Christmas of a different color, isn't it? That is something that when people say, why can't it be Christmas all year long? Well, that's exactly what God is calling us to do. Not just to put on a show for the month of December, but to do something with the entirety of our life. Day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, building a legacy and a legacy of love and doing it not so that we can earn salvation, but doing it because God has loved us, showered that love upon us, given us perfect love through the sacrifice of Christ, and giving us his spirit to live within us and his word to instruct us so that we might live as a reflection of the love of God everywhere that we go. Jesus showed us love and then commands us to love God supremely and also to love our neighbor. So we don't choose between the two, but our love for God causes us to love people, even at this time of year, even people of a different political party, even people with different skin color, even people that have a different culture, a different worldview, a different um, motivation in life than we have. We are called to love them. We're even called to love our enemies, aren't we? So thinking about this, number one, notice that love always goes outward. We like to talk about other people and we want them to love us. We want them to treat us right. We're concerned about their sin when we really ought to be concerned about us. And are are we loving other people? Are we living the kind of life that will bless someone else? And so we kind of have the idea that if they do something that offends us, it's a huge deal. But if we do something that offends someone else, well, they just need to grow up and get over it. I didn't mean it or I was just telling the truth. And uh, we just kind of bulldoze over other people in so many different ways. When you think about the way uh, of immorality and how at the root of all immorality, whether it's pornography or whether it is adultery or whether it is sex before marriage, whatever it may be, lustful thoughts or whatever, those are always the root and the fruit of a selfish, ungodly person, aren't they? In fact, the way that we change all of those kind of things is to have the love of God causing us to genuinely love other people and not to lust after them. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's when we change our idea about God that God does not exist for our benefit, but we exist for His glory. And when we love Him because of what He has done for us, things He certainly never had to do, and we do that because we love him, then that changes our attitude towards sin because you can't love God and love sin. You love God and that causes you to hate sin and it causes you even to hate your own sin and you become more concerned about, am I loving? Is love flowing out of me? If God indwells me and God has changed me, then his love should be flowing out of me. Beloved, let us love one another, he says in verse 7. This love from God comes out of us because God is love. So it's not selfish 
And it's a one another thing, the one another's of Scripture. And it identifies us as believers. It assures us. It testifies to others that we belong to God. And it also encourages other people. There's nothing more encouraging than to know that somebody loves you and that they care about you and they minister to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But understand this, that in the last days... There will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. And that really is the root of all of this because everything he says after that, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, all of that flows out of self-love, being ungrateful and unholy as well. So there's the problem. We love ourselves. This world loves themselves. If everybody would just like what I like, value what I value, and act the way that I want them to and put me in control of everything they do, well, then we'd have a perfect world, or would we? Well, that's what we all think when we get down to the root of it. So love uh, is something that goes outward because of God being within. Number two, love naturally gives. If it's really love... It's going to be a giver, not a receiver. In this is the love of God was manifested toward us in that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God loved, God gave. We love and we give. You you don't have a problem with generosity if the love is right. You don't have a problem with things flowing outward if love is really there. So love is more than a feeling. And it is something that is manifested. That means it is shown. It is put on display. Uh, We were not friendly toward God. If you look at Romans chapter 5 verse 8, that God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us God didn't wait for us to get better God didn't wait for us to show him potential or have good feelings toward him we were sinners toward him in fact Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 nails it we were enemies enemies of the cross enemies of the cross that's the way it really breaks down that's the bottom line I didn't feel like I was an enemy of the cross but I was and I didn't intend to be an enemy of the cross but I was that's what God says and what God saw and yet in spite of this he loves us and he sends his son to redeem us John three sixteen is so beautiful you know it for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Notice the pattern. It's always there. Love and gave. Love and gave. Love and gave. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. You can mark that down. Number three, notice here that love is always from God. We don't work it all up and God says, oh, that's good. I want a piece of that. I want in on that. I'll I'll help you out with that or I'll join in on what you do. It never initiates with us. It never starts with us because we are lovers of self and God wants 
no part of that self-love. It's that self-love that destroys. It's that self-love that corrupts. It's the, I want my way and I want it the way I want it. I want it when I want it. That's the way toddlers act. And um, I remember hearing Paul Washer one time saying that when you're holding that 18-month-old child and you are picking them up and they don't want to be picked up and you are making them leave grandmas when they don't want to leave grandmas and they are banging their fist on you and kicking and they are screaming. He said, that's the mercy of God that they're as small and as weak as they are. Because if they grew up like other animals to full height and full weight and full strength within a year, that child would kill you in order to get their way. Well, you know what? If you've ever seen the wrath and the scorn of a toddler, you understand. If they could, they would just to get their way. Well, guess what? That's within all of us. We've learned how to cover it up. We've learned how to uh, restrain it. We've learned how to try to control it. But it's still there at hostility. And sometimes... We hear about it coming out. Watch the news tonight at 10 o'clock. And there will probably be somebody who couldn't control that inner depravity. And it came out of their life just like it did a toddler. And they beat somebody to death. Or they shot somebody. Or they robbed somebody. Or they raped somebody. Or something like that happened. It's a, it's a horrible thing to think about it. And so if there's going to be any love, any goodness, it's going to have to come from God. And oh, if the world could only understand that when there are times, if there's any peace on your neighborhood street, that's a gift from God. If your family does not have domestic violence in it, that is a gift from God. Whether you know God or love God or not, that's a gift from God. If people could understand that, if Christians could only understand that. We didn't work it up. We didn't bring that and offer that to him. We were just the opposite. God has allowed that to happen in our lives and in the lives even of this lost world. It's a gift of grace from him. And we ought to be the facilitators of that, folks. We ought not be the ones screaming in traffic. We ought not be the ones that are upset with clerks during Christmas shopping. We ought not be the ones acting ugly toward people in our own home, getting mad at our spouse, getting mad at our children, getting mad at our parents or any of those. It ought to be different for those of us who love the Lord. This is the command here. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Let that be what gets into your heart the next time you look at a manger scene. The next time you sing a Christmas carol. Think about the line, God and sinners reconciled. How do you do that? You do that coming together on the cross of Jesus Christ through the blood of Jesus because he was punished in your place for your sin and he did it because he loved you. God loved you and sent his son and the son loved you and came and paid the price for sins completely and this is the real reason for Christmas. That word propitiation, the word means appeasement or satisfaction. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross satisfied the demands of God's holiness for the punishment of sin. 
So Jesus propitiated or satisfied God. When he was dying on the cross, did he die for us? Well, of course he did. But was he ultimately dying for us? I think he ultimately died to satisfy the just demands of God on our behalf. He died for God to be pleased with us, just as God the Father is pleased with his own Son. So, think about the love of God caused him to give. And number four, God's love motivates and enables us to love others. Did you see that? Beloved, that's assuming that you and I are truly saved. Not everybody who goes to church is saved. Not everybody who sings Christmas carols is saved. Not everybody who says amen at a sermon is saved. There are some people who are false believers, pseudo-brethren. I hope that's not you. The Bible says we need to make our calling and election sure. When's the last time you question what you're trusting in? Are you trusting in a prayer you prayed? Are you trusting in the piece of carpet that was covering an aisle that you walked down? Some people say, well, I got saved when I went down front. You can go down front as much as you want. You can wear out the carpet and still split hell wide open. That doesn't save you. We've just talked about what saves you. Are you fully trusting in Jesus? Are you only trusting in Jesus? If not, you're going to die and go to hell because there's nothing else that is sufficient. God doesn't grade on the curve. And so the perfect Son of God made the perfect sacrifice to give you perfect righteousness. And if you don't have that perfect in there, uh, then you don't have salvation. And you can't manufacture perfection. You can't live up to perfection. It has to be done for you and given to you. That's what this is about. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you love church? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love God's word? Do you love God's truth? Do you love holiness? Do you love God himself? Those are the key things that we ought to look at. God's love in Christ, what does it do? It controls us. Sometimes it holds us back. Sometimes it pushes us forward. Sometimes it causes us to do things we normally wouldn't do. Sometimes it causes us to get involved with people we normally wouldn't get involved with. Why? Because God's love compels us, as the Apostle Paul would say. Why did he travel? Why did he go to different places? Why did he hang around people that were different than anything he had ever been around, spoke different languages, ate different food, had a whole different culture? Why didn't he just stay with his fellow Jews and live as a Pharisee the rest of his life? Because he was compelled by the love of God. Why do missionaries go to other countries? Why do people minister to neighbors that don't like them? Why is it that there are people even in the church that go the extra mile and they think of things we would never think of? They are compelled by the love of God. It uh, gives us not only the compulsion but the power to love God and to love fellow believers, loving God and loving our neighbor. 
And this love is supernatural. Therefore, it's more than just a feeling. It's more than a romantic feeling. It's more than just a good, warm feeling that you get. It's something more than that. It causes people... Well, it causes Jim Elliott to die at the end of a spear there in Ecuador. And then it causes his wife to go back and lead the man who killed her husband to faith in Jesus Christ. Read Through the Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot and you get an idea of what love is. It's a whole lot more than a feeling. It's something that is compelled by the grace and the power of God. It's practical. Love has a pattern that is set for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, that's Jesus, therefore all have died, you die to self before you ever get saved, don't you? And one died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, that's what Christmas really is all about. Us receiving the love of God and now living in that love. Sharing that love and knowing that love because you know the truth is what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And where are they going to see it? They're going to see it through you. They're going to indulge. They're going to be selfish. They're going to abuse it. They're going to corrupt it. But not us. Because God is working in us to show love, true love. Love that they can't manufacture. Love that they can't grasp. And you and I can't manufacture it either. It has to come through us. So may the Lord show his love to you. And may that love work out through your life like you've never seen it work before. And may Jesus be glorified and displayed through you during this Christmas season. God loves you. I'm so glad he does. May you be secure and blessed in that love. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you. Merry Christmas.